0: Jesus promised His disciples that they would be opposed and persecuted for His namesake. But this kind of opposition is not something unfamiliar to Jesus. He Himself has been rejected and even crucified. He knows what disciples need most if we are to be faithful in a hostile world. In this message from Mark chapter 9, verses 1-13, through 13, David Platt points us to the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Disciples then and now need to see Jesus for who He is, not merely a good religious teacher, but the supreme revelation of God's glory to weak and sinful people. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, He Guarantees Our Glory.
1: If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I'll mention as you're turning that our plan starting next week is to pause our journey through the book of Mark and walk through two series together this summer the first of which we're calling Now I See It and we were praying about how to best begin moving forward from this significant moment in our church family and We started thinking about significant moments in our lives that we often can't see all that God is doing in that moment, but later we look back and we see more of what God is doing and ultimately in the future we'll be able to see much more clearly all that God was doing, especially during challenging times. So over the next six weeks, different location pastors are going to walk through a text and And based on that text, reflect on a significant moment in their life and what God taught them through that in a way that I trust will encourage all of us and significant moments in our lives and at the same time give you an opportunity to hear the heart of God through the amazing pastors that God has raised up in this church. I love each of these brothers and I look forward to you hearing from all of them. But today we're in Mark chapter 9, and I, in a way I didn't see coming, this is part of what I've loved over the last couple of years, God has been so faithful to lead us, guide us by His Word, just every week at particular moments, meeting us right where we have needed to hear from Him, that particular Word, and I think that's been true over the last few weeks in Mark chapter 8 and now into Mark chapter 9 today, which is going to tie together much of what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. And I'll just give you a heads up from the start. We're going to be all over the Bible today. So if you're taking notes, which I would encourage you to do, be ready to write, maybe to turn to some of these different places in your Bible, make notes there. At the same time, there will be a lot of places to turn, so I'll have them all up here on the screen just in case you can't keep up with the turning and you just want to write them down. So let's actually recap with what we've looked at the last couple weeks, just in case you've missed it. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, I'm going to put up on the screen and read one more time this miracle of Jesus healing a blind man in two stages. So we've seen this multiple times, how the disciples came to Bethsaida, this story, again, goes from a man not being able to see at all, to being able to see in part, to being able to see perfectly. And we've seen over recent weeks how this story is symbolic of the need for spiritual sight in the disciples of Jesus and in each of our lives. In the verses that follow, we see Jesus' disciples gradually start to understand who Jesus is. See him first. They recognize him as the Christ, the Messiah. But then we saw last week, their understanding of Jesus was still inaccurate, incomplete. It was like they could see in part, much like we just read. And now in Mark chapter 9 today, three of these disciples are going to get a very clear. In fact, if they could see Perfectly, a perfect picture of Jesus. And that is my hope for you today, right where you are sitting, that in the next few minutes, you might see Jesus, either for the first time or in a fresh way, especially based on what we saw last week. So last week, we talked about the cost of following Jesus how following Jesus means you die so you can live. How you embrace suffering in this world that comes in obedience to Jesus. How you renounce prosperity and applause in this world. And that message can seem kind of hard. And people could walk away from last week saying, well, that was, that was heavy. Until you realize who it is that you're following. Until you see who Jesus is. And everything changes. So I want to show you who he is today. Follow along with me in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And then we get this scene. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked Him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. All right, there is so much here. Like every word, every phrase and what we just read is oozing, dripping with references to the Old Testament. So if you're taking notes, I want to show you six pictures of Jesus in this passage. I want you to see who Jesus is. Again, either in a fresh way or maybe some of you for the first time. Because, so I'll put this truth on the screen from the start. Once you see Jesus' true identity, you will realize your true identity destiny. And I know that sounds like a dramatic statement. Like realize your true destiny. Aren't you glad you came today? You're going to realize your true destiny. But I, I mean this statement to be dramatic. Because God is saying something dramatic today. If you will just see, and by seeing, like truly see, embrace, believe the true identity of Jesus, you will realize The implications of this for the destiny of your life. So let's see him. Here we go. Number one, Jesus is the glory of God in the flesh. God's glory revealed in person. So let's just go verse by verse through this story. Mark chapter 9 verse 2 says, After six days, I'm just going to emphasize some things. After six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them on a high mountain by themselves. So let's pause here because none of these details are coincidence. All throughout the Bible, God reveals his glory particularly and powerfully on high mountains. Just think about different mountains in the Bible. This is the first place you might turn, Exodus chapter 3. So the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 3, if you want to turn there, I'll have it up here on the screen if you're not able to, but God's people were slaves in Egypt. They were suffering. And Exodus 3 tells us that Moses, so the same Moses who appears in Mark chapter 9, we'll talk about him more in a minute here, but back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he's led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the what? Mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord. So Moses is on a mountain. The angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. If you remember that story, this bush starts to speak, the voice of God speaking through a flaming bush. And God says on the side of this mountain, I know, I see the suffering and oppression of my people. Side note, suffering and oppression is never hidden from the eyes of God. He sees it all. He sees all suffering, all oppression, all injustice. And God says, I am going to deliver my people. And you look at verse 12 of Exodus chapter three. God tells Moses, I will be with you And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God where? On this mountain. So God says, I'm going to bring you back to this high mountain. So you fast forward. God does exactly what he promised. He delivers his people miraculously out of slavery in Egypt. They take an exodus from Egypt. And they come to this mountain in Exodus chapter 19, where we pick up this part of the story. on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel camped before the what? The mountain, while Moses went up to God. So now they've come to this mountain. Everybody else stays at the bottom of the mountain. In fact, they stay far off from the mountain because they're afraid, and rightly so. Watch this scene, Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke. Just imagine the scene, a mountain wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. Now what does that look like? Just picture a mountain trembling and you're standing there. Like, what are you doing? You're overwhelmed by the scene. Yes, you are, you are trembling. When you see a mountain trembling, and then as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So all the people trembling at the bottom, Moses goes up the mountain. And he meets with God. What a scene in all of God's glory. And God speaks to Moses. This is where we get, so the very next chapter in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20, is where we get the Ten Commandments. And all sorts of commands, instructions, the law of God in the next few chapters. Then God tells Moses to go back down, tell his people what he has said. Then watch this. Keep going, Exodus chapter 24. God tells Moses to come back up so he can give him a tablet of stone with the law and commandments on it. And watch this, Exodus twenty-four fifteen. Then Moses went up on the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on that mountain, Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day... He called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. He meets with God, God speaking to him on the seventh day, revealing his glory to Moses And then, so one more passage here in Exodus. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know, watch this, that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone. It was shining. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Just imagine talking with this man, and his face is shining. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. He commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. All right, so that's Exodus. Now let's put it all together. So Moses has gone up on a high mountain to meet with God, a cloud covering that mountain is a picture of the glory of the Lord. Over six days, on the seventh day, God speaks, reveals His glory in such a way that when Moses comes down, his face is shining, reflecting the glory of God. Well, now, in Mark chapter 9, not coincidentally, after how many days? After six days... On the seventh day, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain. You see, like this is loaded with symbolism, and Jesus was transfigured before them. That word in the Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, is metamorpho, from which we get metamorphosis, like total Transformation. Jesus took on a different form. Follow this, where he was not reflecting the glory of God like Moses had. Jesus was revealing the glory of God like no one else can. He is radiating The glory of God in the flesh. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. We don't have time to turn there, but talking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Do you want to see God? Look in the face of Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 God said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where in the face of Jesus Christ The message of Mark 9 is crystal clear open your eyes and see Jesus is not just a mere religious teacher He is not just a prophet like Moses or Elijah Which means Jesus is not merely worthy of religious monotonous motion from your life. Jesus is the glory of God in the flesh. And he is worthy of every facet of your life. Now, so here's the deal. Jesus is the glory of God. And then Moses and Elijah appear with him. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses. Which, can I just pause for a moment and point out there? There is another world beyond this world. Like this world and all that we see in it is not all there is. There is a God in heaven who is over this world. And everyone who has gone before us is either with God or separated from God right now. What we saw, we talked about last week, you can gain the whole world, all that's in it. Big deal. It's not gonna matter because there's another world. And one day all that this world offers will be gone. So stop living for this world. Open your eyes and see there's another world to live for. Don't be blinded by what looks great right here, that you miss what really is great. So here are Elijah and Moses, and they're talking with Jesus. What a scene. Can you imagine this, like seeing? There's Moses. That's Moses. The last time we saw him right before he died, before the people of God entered the promised land, had led his people out of Egypt, and plague after plague after plague, and through a red sea, splitting in half. And then there's Elijah. Last time we saw him, he was taking a chariot of fire ride up into heaven. And you're looking at Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Just imagine seeing, experiencing this. And then have you ever been in a potent moment where you just... Like something significant is happening right here. And then all of a sudden, somebody jumps in and says something and ruins it all. Like leave it to Peter to say, Rabbi, I'm so glad we're here. Like, bro, be quiet. Just enjoy the moment, man got moses and elijah talking with jesus just let it happen and then a cloud recognize that from exodus we saw over and over again cloud on the mountain even what we didn't have time to look at there's so much here pillar of cloud god leading his people by day cloud resting over the tabernacle cloud resting over the temple when it is constructed So this cloud here overshadows them, and a voice comes out of the cloud, again, on the seventh day, saying, this is my beloved son. Boom. Second picture of Jesus here. Jesus is the son of God. The beloved son of God. Even that language. Does that sound familiar from the Bible on a mountain? In Genesis chapter 22? I remember this one on a mountain called Moriah. So here, here's a mountain where God's saying, this is my beloved son. That language takes us back to Moriah. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God had told Abraham to go in faith to a mountain to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he loves. Abraham went, laid his Son on an altar on that mountain was about to sacrifice him when, verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went up, took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, on the mountain, it shall be provided. So centuries before Mark 9, God provided a sacrifice for Abraham's only son on a mountain. Now centuries later on another mountain, God says, here is my beloved son, my only son whom I love. And I am giving him as a sacrifice for your sin. I am providing a way for your salvation. Now, oh, hold on to that. We'll get to that more in a minute. Keep going. So, Jesus is the glory of God. He's the Son of God. And Jesus is the Word of God. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Be quiet, Peter. And be quiet, everybody. Listen to my Son and all that he says. You might write down Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. So back in Moses' day, same Moses who's here in Mark chapter 9, in Moses' day, he had said, verse 15 in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall Listen. Just as you desired the Lord your God at Mount Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. God had spoken on Mount Horeb in Exodus. Now God is speaking on this mountain in Mark chapter 9. Through His Son, listen to Him. He is My Word. This is Hebrews chapter one, verse one, right before what we read just a few minutes ago in Hebrews one three about Jesus being the radiance of the glory of God. The Bible says long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His what? By His Son. Jesus is the Word of God, which means. Life is found in listening to him. Oh, teenagers, college students, young adults, whatever age stage in life, senior adults, life is found in listening to God and doing what he says. Jesus is the word of God. Now, let's go back up for a moment to Mark chapter nine, verse four for this next picture of Jesus. So you remember in this verse, when Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus before Peter interrupted them. What do you think they were talking about? There's a lot to catch up on. And a lot's happened since Moses was on the scene, Elijah was on the scene. Lots going on in Jesus' life. I don't think they're talking about Well, there's numerous things. Like, what could they be talking about? Well, thankfully, we don't have to speculate. Because in Luke's account of this story, he actually tells us what was happening in this conversation. Watch this. Luke chapter 9, verse 30 says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke. Here's what they talked about. They spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem they were talking about Jesus' departure. And you know what that word is in the Greek, in the original language of the New Testament? You ready for this? Departure in the Greek is the word Exodus. (laughs) Moses says, I know I kind of led an exodus. Let's talk about the exodus you're about to lead. Moses brought God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Now he's talking with Jesus about how he's about to bring slavery, not not about to bring deliverance, not to slavery to another nation, but slavery to sin and death and Satan. Fourth picture, Jesus is the savior of our souls. This word, Departure, Exodus is the gospel. We are all enslaved to sin. Oh, if you've never been in church before, you're seeing Jesus for the first time, here's the big picture story of the Bible. You're seeing it right in front of you, how all of us are enslaved to sin, prone to go our own ways instead of God's ways. We have all rebelled against God, and we deserve eternal judgment before God. But God has sent his son to deliver us. To save us, to bring us out of slavery, to sin and death, to lead us into everlasting life in the promised land, in another world. You say, how is that possible? See it. It's possible because of what Jesus was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. What's that a reference to? What's waiting for him in Jerusalem? A cross. Don't miss the wonder of this picture on this mountain. This is where Jesus belongs, in glory, radiating the glory of God. But what happens here? Just like that, the scene ends. Jesus comes down the mountain, leaves the glory he deserves, humbles himself, and walks with these disciples on a road to a cross in Jerusalem where he will pay the price for their sins and for the sins of all who will trust in him to be the Savior of their souls. See Jesus and his love for you today. He has left his throne in glory to bring salvation to your soul. To bring you out of slavery to sin and death in this world. Jesus is the savior of our souls. Which leads to, so two more pictures. One, Jesus is the sustainer in our suffering. So, we have this dialogue as they're walking down the mountain about Elijah And Jesus says to them, and remember it's written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things. And we saw this the last couple of weeks, Jesus talking about the suffering that he was going to endure in this world, which nobody expected the Messiah to endure. Which is why, if you remember, Peter rebuked Jesus in Mark chapter 8. But Jesus said, this is what will happen to me And if you follow me, you can expect the same. It's what we saw last week. We die so we can live. We embrace suffering that comes with obedience to Jesus. We don't pursue suffering, but we realize if we do all that Jesus tells us to do, it won't be easy in this world. We renounce worldly prosperity and applause. And that's what this whole dialogue is about in the last part of Mark chapter 9, talking about Elijah so a little background here, Malachi chapter four. So this is the last chapter in the Old Testament before we meet Jesus in the New Testament. Listen how the Old Testament ended. Malachi 4.4 4 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, Mount Horeb, for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So here's Moses. The word God gave him at Mount Horeb, which we've talked about. And then Elijah, who would be the forerunner of the Lord. And we know that Elijah here is a symbolic reference to John the Baptist, who is the forerunner to Jesus. We know that because of Matthew's account of this story on a mountain. So the parallel to Matthew, Mark chapter 9 is Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus answered, Elijah does come, he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So put yourselves in the shoes of Peter, James, and John here. They're processing this, thinking, what is happening? Because by this time, John the Baptist has been beheaded. Now Jesus is talking about suffering, being killed on the cross. And they're starting to get it. That following Jesus does not mean you're exempt from suffering in this world. In fact, most scholars believe that when Jesus is talking here in Mark chapter 9 about that, which is written about the Son of Man's suffering, that he's specifically referencing Isaiah chapter 53. Which contains, among other things, this description of Jesus, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Just to pause there, don't miss this, Christian. I I don't know what sorrows you're carrying today or what grief you're bearing what trials you may be enduring. But I do know this, when you suffer, you have an intercessor in heaven who is familiar with sorrows and suffering. And when you hurt, you have an intercessor in heaven who knows what it is to hurt and grieve. And he promises to sustain you amidst suffering in this world. In fact, the very next verse, And Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. See Jesus. He will bear your grief and carry your sorrows for you. He is the sustainer in our suffering. Which leads right into the last picture and the best picture here in Mark 9. Jesus is the guarantor of our glory. And I'm using that word really intentionally. So This is language you might recognize when you're renting an apartment or a house, maybe signing a lease What is the guarantor. This is the person who assumes responsibility for making sure any debt is paid so you can live in that place. Can I just repeat that one more time? In light of what we're seeing in Mark chapter nine, not talking about an apartment or a house in this world. Jesus is the guarantor, the person who assumes responsibility for making sure your debt is paid so that you can live in a particular place. And what is that place? That place is in glory. And that's the point of this whole scene. Follow this to give Peter and James and John a picture. Because Jesus knows what's coming for each of those guys. Peter's going to be imprisoned multiple times. And in the end, he's going to be crucified upside down on the cross. James is going to be put in prison and beheaded like John the Baptist. John is going to be exiled on an island. So how are they going to make it through? Here's how. They need a vision of what's coming. They need to see the glory that's coming. And they are learning on this mountain that the road to glory in the next world goes through the valley of suffering in this world. Let me say that one more time. The road to glory in the next world goes through the valley of suffering in this world. And oh, can I show you just one more thing? Maybe two more things, but just it's so good. Remember this word transfigured? Oops, over here. Oh, no. Where did it go? Okay. I don't have it on here. No, yes, it is right there. Right there. Sorry, sorry. You're like, it's right there in the middle of the screen. So he was transfigured before them. Remember that? Metamorpho, transfigured. There are three other times in the Bible where that word is used. It's only four times total. One of the other times is in Matthew's account of the story in Matthew chapter 17. So that takes out. we got two left. Let me show you the other two times where this word is used. Because it's not just talking about Jesus. It's talking about you and me. All who trust in Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's the same word, metaphor, morpho. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's talking about how God desires to transform your life. To live for another world, not this world. And then, the other time, only one other time, this word used in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Right after Paul talks about how the glory of God shone from Moses' face, he says to the church, to Christians, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Did you hear that? Did you hear how Mark chapter 9 just landed in your lap, Christian? The more you behold the glory of the Lord, the more you see Jesus in all his glory, the more you are being will be transformed into his same image, into glory, from one degree of glory to another, like him. I, I I don't know all the circumstances you're walking through. I don't know all the challenges and suffering you have or will experience, but I do know this. I know that the key in the middle of it all is keeping your eyes fixed on beholding the glory of Jesus. Keeping your eyes fixed on him and in the process being transformed to be like him. That's why I said in the very beginning, dramatic statement, once you see Jesus' true identity, you will realize your true destiny. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and all of his glory, because you know that's where you're going. Amen. That you're going to be like him. This is 1 John 3. We read it just the other day in our Bible reading. We will one day see him as he is and become like him. Not God like him, but fully conformed into the image of Jesus. This is Romans eight twenty eight. This is the verse we love. We know that for those who love God, all things, all things, everything in your life right now is working together for good. What's that good? For the those who are called according to his purpose, what's that purpose? For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Your destined, your destiny is to become transformed like Jesus into glory, free from sin ultimately free from suffering free from death those he destined he also called those he called he also justified and those he justified he also what glorified let's see it god right now in your life is working everything in your life all the challenges all the suffering all the hardship all the pain all the craziness in this world for that matter god's working it all together for the good of those who are looking to him to be transformed, conformed into the likeness of Jesus. He's working it all for our glory. God is going to glorify you. That's what the Bible says. God is going to glorify you. And Jesus is the guarantee of that. So don't lose heart. And it's whatever this world brings. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep your faith fastened on him, knowing that one day, no matter what we've walked through individually, as a church, in this world, for all whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, one day it's going to happen. And a cloud is going to appear above. Not just a voice, but a trumpet is going to boom from the sky. And 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord in glory. Oh, Church, family, every Christian within the sound of my voice, see Jesus' true identity. Realize your true destiny and live to know him and make him known on this earth. Will you bow your heads with me? I want to ask every person within the sound of my voice, in this room, other locations, online. Is Jesus all of these things to you? Have you seen him trusted in Jesus as the glory of God, the son of God, the word of God, the savior of your soul, the one who alone can sustain you in your suffering and the guarantor of your glory? Is that true for you? If the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, then I invite you in this holy moment to say, Jesus, I see you. And today I put my faith in you. I trust in you. You are the glory of God, the Son of God, the Word of God. You died on the cross to save me from my sins, rose from the grave. You are the only one who could sustain me amidst hardship in this world and you are my guarantee of glory. I invite you to place your faith in Jesus today and by faith, he will be all of those things to you. Oh, Lord God, we love your word. We love how no detail is accidental in it, it is life, (laughs) it is wisdom, it is strength and joy and hope for us. I just pray this picture over every single person listening right now amidst whatever they're walking through, that right now you would fix their eyes on Jesus. And you would help sustain, strengthen, uphold them and we pray in all of our lives and in the life of our church help us to keep our eyes fixed on you at all times help us to be transformed into your image from one degree of glory to another as we look forward to as we long for the day when our faith will be sight when we will see you jesus as you are perfectly and we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things and all God's people said, amen.
0: That's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.